0: Given the long-running and intense illegal immigration drama on the Mexican border, you might expect low morale for employees of Customs and Border Protection and Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Now the DHS inspector general has documented this. We get details now from the acting deputy IG for audits, Kristen Bernard. Ms. Bernard, good to have you with us.
1: Thank you, Tom. I'm happy to be back
0: and from Audit Manager David Liu. Mr. Liu, good to have you. Thanks for
2: having me on board.
0: And what you were looking at, I guess, primarily was how well DHS management is handling CBP and ICE people, given what is going on. Let's begin with the survey that you did. You got a big response from agents on the front lines. What did they tell you?
1: I, I just wanted to point out first, before we talk about the survey, that the survey was used in conjunction with our audit evidence. So, um, David and his team did conduct over 30 site visits, and they were able to meet with just actually over 200 CBP and ICE personnel and and really witness in-person conditions on the border. Um, we conducted the survey to just better understand the challenges associated with staffing. We received um, 9,300 responses from our survey, and it really just went a long way to confirm uh, what we had witnessed as conditions along the border, and just serve to um, confirm our other sources of evidence.
0: Right. It's probably basic, but we should establish the fact that because of the large numbers of migrants that have been coming and going, and we've seen all this on cable TV endlessly, that is a workload for the federal employees there on the front lines. Correct?
1: Correct. That is correct.
0: All right. And so what did they tell you about their morale and how they feel about the job? Is there a real effect there from this surge of migration we've been witnessing?
1: That's a good way to put it, because the health and the morale issues are are really the effect, that's the cumulative effect of what we saw from the conditions, the operational conditions that they're working in. We heard a lot about the burden of the unknown from going on details, in some cases repeated details, In some cases, not having advance notice when you would need to travel and just the duties that they were conducting when they were at different locations outside their duty station. Oftentimes, they were performing other duties that were different from their primary law enforcement duties. So I think all of these conditions combined just resulted in what we directly heard from them as low morale, stress, uh, exhaustion, in many cases, fatigue. Um, These were really common themes, both across the interviews that we conducted and overwhelming in our survey responses.
0: And what about the staffing levels relative to that level of workload? That's an issue, too. One of the reasons, fair to say, that they are working say, overtime or working, I don't know, do they do two shifts in a row, that kind of thing, because there's just not enough agents?
1: That's correct. And I think we saw every possible combination. Let me first say that as the migrant encounters have increased, doubled in some cases, the staffing levels for both CBP and ICE had remained relatively flat. So what they're doing is um, supplementing the searches with details from other DHS agencies and from other CBP and ICE locations.
0: So is the result that, as you said, sometimes people are detailed to fill out, sometimes the people that were assigned to that job in the first place have to work overtime without choice, and that, that's the range of options just to keep operations from getting too bad.
1: That's correct, and we saw both mandatory um, details and, or voluntary de- details and mandatory details. All right.
0: And let me just ask this. Is one of the elements contributing to the difficulty of the job the fact that they're not dealing with factory output, for example, or producing something at a high rate of speed? They are dealing with, illegal though they might be, human beings, And they see children, they see families in distress, they see people fleeing horrible conditions in their own countries. I mean, these are not undifferentiated lumps coming by. But the fact that there's human interaction, that must be a real stressor, I would think.
1: It certainly is. Um, I think what we saw during the audit, definitely CBP and ICE are extremely committed. They're committed to the mission and and they're committed to, to doing this work. But day in, day out. Um, working overtime for prolonged periods, especially in a law enforcement environment, it takes a toll. And I, I think that's where our studies come in. We were able to conduct some benchmarking across similar operational conditions and just confirm um, what those work stressors look like when you are working under high pressure, high stress environments day in and day out um, in dealing with those operational challenges.
0: We're speaking with Kristen Bernard, Acting Deputy IG for Audits at the Homeland Security Department's Office of Inspector General, and David Liu, Audit Manager. So this is an ongoing situation. Hopefully it won't go on forever, but it has had its effect. What were your recommendations to Homeland Security? David?
2: Thanks, Tom. Um, So DHS is kind of like the first point of contact for those seeking to enter the country legally or illegally, right? And so we try to make three recommendations a strategic staffing model and after action reviews um, and better communication with the frontline staff so in our first recommendation we basically told them to look at a federally funded research and development center and try to get a complete full assessment of the staffing needs at the southwest border so that we can find ways to strategically implement recommendations based on that assessment like you said You know, they can't continue to work in this high stress environment and kind of like these new higher levels of immigration and use these patchwork methods of detailing and overtime. Right. They have to kind of figure out what can we do more holistically to address the situation. So that was the first recommendation that one DHS non concurred with. They felt like they have staffing models in place. They believe that it would be duplicative of their current efforts and that they also don't have the funding needed to conduct this type of assessment.
0: Yeah, let me just press you on that point. You know, in some agencies, they somehow are unable to hire enough people to fill their statutory and budgetary authority. Are mm-hmm. they? Do they have greater headroom in the number of bodies they could have in those jobs? They just haven't been able to get them in to stay?
2: Um, so I believe on the data that we looked at, the DHS, like CBP and I specifically, they're authorized numbers. They have hired pretty close to it um, every fiscal year that we looked at from 19 to 22. Uh, So, but at the end of the day, you can keep hiring as many people, but that's only part of the solution to kind of help manage the situation at the southwest border.
0: And there were a couple of other recommendations then beyond the the staffing.
2: Yes, sir. So we Because DHS started implementing the Southwest Border Coordination Center, the SBCC, that was fairly new in FY22. They basically come in and they assess the situation and find ways to maneuver CBP and ICE personnel to kind of help decompress any situation uh, or any capacity levels. Anytime a, say, border patrol station or facility is experiencing a huge surge in capacity and having capacity issues. Um, So what we did recommend is take a look at the after action reviews, things that they're working on, because SBCC are working on ways to kind of help make processing go faster, find ways to decompress faster and get guys on the ground like contracts and vehicles to move. Uh, personnel. Uh, So that was a second recommendation.
0: And they concurred with that one?
2: Yes, they concurred with that one. Um, And the third one was basically just to find ways to communicate what they are doing with frontline personnel. Uh, I think that's a really important aspect because guys are dealing with this every single day, it's helpful for them to kind of know what's happening and how to move resources around, and my general purpose.
0: Right. Knowing management is aware of the situation and cares about it, sometimes is not half the battle, but it sure is a contributor to improvement, probably, I would think.
2: That is correct.
0: So what happens now? This report is issued. uh, It's a pretty revealing report. I actually read most of it, and Congress must have an interest in this one, too, because ultimately... You know, the solution to whatever happens in immigration in this nation rests on Capitol Hill. They haven't done much about it. Maybe they can't do much about it given the makeup of Congress. But it seems like this would have wider reading relevance than simply Homeland Security management.
1: That's correct, Tom. And I think I think our key takeaway is certainly there's a lot outside of DHS's control, as you just described. But really, DHS just needs to better understand the current immigration environment. Of course, there will be fluctuations and changes in policy. But what we're asking is that they be more strategic with their planning, their staffing planning, and um, adjusting their operations so that they're better positioned to address all of these issues that are affecting their law enforcement personnel.
0: Kirsten Bernard is Acting Deputy Inspector General for Audits, and David Liu is Audit Manager in the Homeland Security Department's Office of Inspector General. Thank you both for being with me.
1: Thank you so much for having us. Thank you for us. having me.
0: And we'll post this interview along with a link to their report at federalnewsnetwork.com federaldrive Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Dr. David Wilson, president of Morgan State University. David has had a fascinating career and has garnered a long record of accomplishments from more than 30 years of experience in higher education administration. Came to Morgan State in 2010 from the University of Wisconsin, where he was chancellor of both the University of Wisconsin Colleges
4: what I saw, it was just so many people, my own brothers and sisters who were 10 times smarter than I was. But my first five brothers were literate. They never got an opportunity to show the nation how brilliant they were. Therefore, I really took on this whole notion that my life had to be about
3: For the kinds of reasons you just talked about, that it's it's fulfilling. But can you talk a little bit more about that?
4: There have been so many so-called top 50 institutions in the United States that have come aggressively after me. And, you know, I flirted with a couple of them. And I went home to Alabama because these two were very serious. And my family is brutally honest with me, and they keep me grounded. So I flew down and began to talk with them about the society there that kept me from realizing my potential and then kept so many others like me from ever realizing their potential. At the end of a conversation that we had, someone asked Mr. Susulu, we're leaving this conversation thinking that you harbored no anger towards a society that locked you away for 27 years. Are we leaving with the correct conclusion? He said, I harbored no anger or bitterness.